Austin, I'm taking over the show today. Uh, wanted to have you on and just kind of talk about life, talk about how we know each other, talk about where what you do and and who you are. So um, let's let's dive in. Tell the audience who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, moved to Birmingham about a decade ago, and uh, right out of college, and started working for a uh, landscape company here in town, a bigger landscape company. We were all over the southeast. And I was on the financial side, and I worked there for seven years. And so uh, about year six to seven, I realized it was kind of my time to leave uh, the landscape world. And the, it was honestly just a leap of faith for me. I didn't, had no clue what my next step was. I just knew that I was supposed to leave, but I didn't know uh, what that looked like afterwards. And the only thing I had been doing at the time was trading options in the stock market. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give this thing a try, just give it 100% of my time and see what I can do. And so I tried that for about a year and a half Mm. and realized, really honestly, just understood a lot about myself going through that season and understood that I'm an extrovert and I'm behind a computer all day, every day looking (laughs) at stock charts. (laughs) Didn't honestly love that. And so really two things I learned in the the stock market was uh, learn about myself, about what I liked and what I didn't like. And then the second thing was, is I realized I really didn't have a competitive advantage for what my unique skill set was that I felt like that I brought to the market inside of the stock market. Mm -hmm. Because I had a MacBook and a charter internet connection while hedge fund managers are sitting around a table with billionaires trying to figure out where they're going to push money. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't have a a big competitive advantage in that world. And so um, I just decided to uh, try to pivot from there and see what my next steps were. And along that journey is when I actually met a guy named Phil Mazur, mm-hmm. who started a company about six years ago uh, called CFO Mission. And he was a fractional CFO, outsourced accounting firm for property managers. And so um, I worked for with him. Basically, we just met uh, at a cafe one day uh, in our church, and I just kind of hit it off from day one. And he was, I was working on stocks. He was working on building his business. And... Uh, we just became friends, started running together and, and um, just tried to hang out a good bit. And then he just said, hey, man, if you ever want to help me build this business, let's do it. And so that really, and that was kind of in that middle of that year and a half phase of me doing stocks. And that's when I was kind of like, man, should I continue doing this? I'm just isolated by myself and Phil's wanting to build this business. And I'm very intrigued by just small businesses in general. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I uh, just started working with them. Just a few hours a week that led more into half my week that led more into basically working for him full time and running the operations for him while he was trying to grow the business and head up sales and that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. How big was the company when you joined at that time? As far as so, number of people, I guess, were you working along, alongside a lot of people during that time? Yeah, so we had, um, I guess there was four of us full time at that point. I was kind of that third person that mm-hmm. came on. And then we hired an additional person after me. So it was okay. five full-time. And then we actually had a team of virtual assistants mm-hmm. that did a lot of the um, clerical, day-to-day task management type stuff. Okay. And so that team was probably anywhere from six to seven people. And then we had the five full-timers. Okay, nice. Yeah, going in. And so from there, uh, I can talk about this all day. Yeah, so. come on. I love it. <laughs> but uh, from there, uh, just working with Phil – uh, we were, you know, growing the business and I was loving it. And, and like I said, he was doing the sales side. I was doing the operation side and I just kind of put the bug in the, in his ear, uh, 
last year that, hey, man, if you ever consider selling this business, I would love to buy the business. And so I think it was thrown off a little bit at first because he had never thought that that's kind of like what the direction I was going. And uh, I knew that um, ultimately I wanted to do my own thing. I just didn't know what that looked like. And mm -hmm. so uh, I kind of talked to him about that. And a few months went by and he came back to me and he was like, hey, man, let's have that conversation again about selling the business. And so we went through that whole process of doing that. I'm, you know, happy to share whatever you want to know. Yeah, about I want that to talk process, about that. But, but I mean, you're, um, that's a big deal, right? Yep. I mean, buying a business, that, that concept is newer to me. Um, and, and it derived a little bit from how we met, which we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah. um, I mean, there's got to be a lot, of, a lot of nerves around that, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, uh, you know, once again, we started with the friendship first, right? Yeah. And then we led into being like, business friends mm -hmm. and so the biggest thing what my viewpoint walking into that was I don't want anything to like uh, put a wedge between our friendship to me the relationship came first and the mm -hmm. business came second as much as I desired to buy that business because I loved it and learned about it over working with them for two years and and, and understanding it I didn't want to do anything that kind of like jeopardized the relationship mm -hmm. And so he knew that, I knew that, and we were we had been, become such good friends that we thought similarly. It was just like, it was never really like this, um, kind of like, I don't want to talk to him about this kind of thing. We were just always open along yeah. the whole way. But it was nerve-wracking because like, I had never done anything like that before. Right? <laughs> right. I, mean, like, it, I mean, it was just something that I listened to a bunch of podcasts about and tried to trying to become somewhat knowledgeable about how to evaluate businesses. And I got to do that a little bit in the landscape world because we were acquiring uh, a bunch of uh, smaller landscape companies when we were building that business. And so um, I had a little bit of knowledge there, but it was still just this, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just figure this thing out. Yeah. So when you were at the landscaping company, you were on the accounting and numbers side. So you got to see how the finances worked when you purchased a smaller company. So you had some experience with that side of it. Yep, exactly. Uh, and then I guess being an, an outsourced accounting company, it, it would it's literally your job to understand the numbers. So if yeah. you're purchasing a company, you know, for yourself, then that's the first thing you look at. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And so, so the landscape company was owned by an investment group here in town. And so mm -hmm. I got to see what they cared about as an investment firm owning a landscape company, okay. right? Just by being, I was an employee by the landscape company, but I got to see what they cared about. And so I saw what markets they were interested in, how they evaluated businesses, uh, how they talked with business owners and what they put a value. I mean, they would come in and put a value on their business and uh, basically say yeah you're not right and so I got to see and be a part of that which kind of led into me taking that experience and knowledge into a whole different industry but you can still evaluate businesses similarly mm -hmm. yeah okay hey, okay so you go in you have the conversation he's open to it um what what's the give me a time frame on how long this this takes place from the initial hey I'm interested you said a couple months went by and he let's yeah. say revisit this to ultimately spoiler alert, but purchasing the company, right? Yeah, so yeah. What, what does that look like? So we were doing our 2023 planning for the company in December of 22. And that's when I just put that bug in his ear. I was like, hey, I'd you know, love to buy the business. Have you ever thought about that? And then I would say it was March. Uh, I, think it was, I think it was March of this year where he came back and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something different and I'd love to reconsider you know possibly selling this business to you so we started having those conversations in March and so mm -hmm. we I think we ended up really the next step after that when he came to me he said listen I have a specific number in my mind of what I think the business is worth 
but you go do your homework and see what the business is worth to you and then let's meet again. Mm. And so I did that and that's, we've been in a group together for probably six months or longer to the, before yeah. that day. Yeah. And so I was asking you a bunch of questions and we were getting together just trying to figure out like, okay, what do I even do here? And so uh, I came back in, tried to pull some of that experience from landscape world to evaluate that business. And uh, we went back and forth probably three to four times mm. uh, before we came to an agreement on what we thought the business was worth that we both agreed to. Mm. And so, I mean, I'm happy to dive into kind of how I, how I evaluated the business, but yeah, I'd love to hear um, a little bit about that. And then, and then kind of from a 30,000 foot view, um, what went into that just kind of from a mental and like emotional standpoint, again, that, that's to me initially sounds very overwhelming of buying a business and there's just so many moving pieces. Um, and so I want to, I want to hear about that as well, but yeah, if you want to touch on uh, that first. Yeah, for sure. So, so the, the way we went in, there's two ways in my mind that you can evaluate really small businesses. The first one is just a percentage of revenue, right? So mm-hmm. like a lot of times small businesses, this is why we, I love the accounting space because a lot of small businesses don't have a clue if their books are accurate or not. So if you go in there and look at a and l statement, you have no clue if the profit is actually accurate or not. So you're like, man, if they're, if these books aren't accurate, I can't actually put a true evaluation on this. So yeah. a lot of people, and this is what we ended up doing in the landscape world, was uh, you just do a percentage of what their top line revenue was. Like, what is their contractual revenue? And we're going to offer them a percentage of that. And so um, that's one way to do it. The way I did it with Phil, because we knew the books were accurate, because we're, you know, accounting firm. It's your job. <laughs> is that I knew what the profit was. So the other option of evaluating businesses, and this is probably what you hear more in like the stock market world or the you know bigger public companies, is they do a percentage or a multiple of EBITDA, which is earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I ended up doing because I knew the true profit of the business, and I just did a multiple of that based on what I thought was a fair market value for that business. Mm-hmm. And so, and what was your second question? Just from a, a high level, the the mental and emotional state going through that because you're you're married, yeah. right? And so you've got a family that you're also uh, taking care of and balancing, and and that's a whole new set of risks and a new yeah. endeavor. So what you know, just from a approach from that standpoint, what yeah. would that look like? So it, uh, you're exactly right. So my wife is very. Uh, um, I guess conservative and consistent and uh, I'm more of the let's go try things and do all that kind of stuff. But one thing I'm super grateful for because she, uh, she works a job and actually all of our benefits, healthcare, all of that stuff come through her job. So we have the ability to me to go to kind of take risks, like trying to stock market thing and trying these things where there's like, there's no benefits of like that. Most people feel security in when you go to, uh, try these things. So it's given me a little bit of the freedom that maybe some other people don't have that we can go try different things, knowing that she still has a salary coming in and she has health care if anything drastic happens, right? Um, so it gave me a, a little bit of peace knowing that, but it was still, like you said, very nerve wracking because I was looking at these numbers and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to take on debt to purchase the company, right? And so uh, I could purchase this company and the way our, our, uh, business works is it's just month to month. There's no contractual agreements with our clients. So it's mm-hmm. like if we we have to show up every month to provide you a good service, and if we're not, then you can dip out. And we understand we want that freedom for our clients. Yeah. And so I was thinking, man, I could take the reins of this thing, and two months in, they could all dip, and I'm like, I have this big note I got to pay. Yeah. 
and no clients, they got to figure out what to do with it. So that was probably the biggest nerve-wracking thing for me. So when I looked at the numbers, I was comfortable giving a, a multiple of EBITDA where I didn't want to have a loan extend out more than 24 months. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I shot to do is that say, okay, I know I got to get a loan out for this, but if I can make it 24 months, then the business is paid for free and clear, and then I can go from there. I don't want to extend something out where, especially when people are month to month, going five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, extending out a note that way. So I wanted that number to be on that 24-month range. Yeah. So you kind of look at uh, what's worst case and let's mitigate our risk as much as possible and, yeah. hey, maybe maybe our return for the next 24 months isn't as sexy as it could be, but after that, it's gonna, it's just going to be that much better. That's exactly right. And our risk is much less lower. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, from a yeah. business owner, I would much rather take in less money just as profit from the business that's actually paying me to, to pay that loan down quicker. Mm -hmm. Right, and then be able to kind of propel myself into the next season with no debt. Yeah, uh, and that, that's one thing I love about how you structured this is that the discipline for delayed gratification, right? And that's that's so hard. One, because there's, there's risk in that, like your cash flow is lower. Um, you've got an opportunity with Sam helping you out on – uh, or helping your family out just from a survival standpoint, right? Mm. And that is that is some people would say, oh, well, I don't have that opportunity, so I couldn't do that. But I think taking that risk instead of you've got a comfortable job, you're you're skilled, you could go get hired and just have a nine-to-five forever and be fine and comfortable, but yeah. taking that risk and taking that step because – the potential of what it could be is just so high. And, and man, I just, I love that you, you did that. I, I love that you just took that risk and, and you put yourself out there to just say, look, I'm, I'm made. And I, this resonate resonates with me. Like I'm, I'm made for more than just punching a clock and, and going to do something like I want to build something that can have lasting effect on more than just me. Yeah, absolutely. Right? No, I, I fully agree with that. And honestly, being with you during this whole season, I mean, you were with me along the way of buying this business and one of the things, I mean, we've all probably heard this a thousand times, but you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? And so you, me seeing what you do with your life encouraged me to take bigger steps of faith in my life just because I'm like, well, if Blake's doing it, I kind of want to do it too. You know, I'm seeing <laughs> him, him do things, even though we're in different industries. Yeah. I'm seeing him do things that are putting risk on the table to go do, do stuff to, mm -hmm. you know, propel his family forward and propel his career forward and do all these things. So it gave me kind of courage to do that as well. And so when you get around like-minded individuals like we do on Thursdays, um, it's just, a, it's so much of a bigger benefit than I ever imagined possible just by hearing what other people are doing that like um, just encourages everybody in the group, right? Yeah. And so it just, yeah, it's a game changer for me. Yeah, like you said, that's been said and, and everyone's heard it so many times, but actually to live out surrounding yourself with people that, make you better and really mm -hmm. reflecting on where you're spending your time, who you're spending your time with. Uh, I mean, we're living that out. And I want to talk about that group in a minute and yeah. just all the growth we've seen, not just in our businesses, but just in other people in the group as well. And it's not a huge group. Um, that's just been super impactful. So uh, I do want to talk about that, but um, I can't let this opportunity pass to not tie in what you're doing to real estate since this yeah. is a real estate <laughs> podcast. Um, and you've got some real estate we're going to talk about at the end of this, but yeah. um it's so similar when, when you're talking about evaluating this company, you're looking at uh, our look at the, the gross income or the revenue, right? So if I'm, I'm, my mind goes to an apartment complex, yep. so what's the potential rent coming in? What are the expenses? And is the seller, if I'm looking to buy it, are they telling me the correct expenses? So I've got to verify that yeah, exactly. I know what the NOI is or I know what the profit is. Yep. Uh, and then basing a, an offer or evaluation off of those numbers. It's the same thing. 
Yeah. Right. Different exactly industry, right. but exact same thing. Yep. Uh, and so I love that. So people are, um, you know, when, when you're trying to analyze buying a business or buying some real estate, it, it's really, it's the same process, mm-hmm. which is pretty simple. Income minus expenses, there's your value, yeah, exactly. right? You just got to just verify that all those are correct. Yep. I love that. Um, all right. So how did we meet? Right. We had, I think we had lunch yep. with, was it Josh or Josh? Ta- Josh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Josh connected us. He, yeah. I can't remember how you and Josh met, but Josh and I had been friends. We've been friends for three plus years, I guess now. And he just called me up one day. I was like, man, I got this friend, Blake. We had to go get lunch. And he's a great connector. I mean, Josh is, is an yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like that's his passion in life is just yeah. to connect people. And yeah. so, shout out, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, so we got, the three of us got lunch uh, down in Homewood, I guess. And that's really where I was super interested because we had just done the Irondale House. Yeah. And I was like coming off this hive, like saying, this actually worked. So, <laughs> so what, what is, what is the Irondale house? Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, um, I, like everybody had been listening to bigger pockets for years and never did anything with it. Right. And so, uh, was doing that while working the different jobs that I had been working and was interested, started to get more and more interested in real estate. So I started to get on some wholesaler list of mm-hmm. just like saying, okay, what are houses in Birmingham going for kind of off market, that kind of deal. And I had become very interested in the Airbnb space versus the long-term rental space. And so that was kind of my first stab to say, like, I'm actually going to start paying attention to these wholesaler emails and see what happens if we can do something. So essentially got an email from a wholesaler on an Irondale house, and Sam and I, my wife and I, went and looked at it, built in 1920, loved the area, loved the, loved the house, and saw big potential for it being a Airbnb because it's 10 minutes from downtown and mm-hmm. I had a good little community over there. And so we bought the house within, with the basically thought of, let's make this thing an Airbnb. So actually halfway through the renovation, so bought the house. It, w- it was in decent shape, but just needed some lipstick, basically. Mm-hmm. It made it look, look pretty. And so um, we started doing redoing the bathroom, redoing the kitchen and all these things. And halfway through the renovation, the city of Irondale actually uh, outlawed Airbnbs because of, because of an incident there. Yeah. So we were like, oh, shoot, our whole plan was to do Airbnb. You know, like, what are we going to do? And so by law in Irondale, it's 30-day minimum night stay. Okay. And so I just started doing some research because I was like, I still think there's, like, an opportunity for a shorter-term rental than just the 12-month traditional lease. And so um, I just, yeah, we started doing research and found this uh, platform called Furnish Finder, which mm-hmm. caters towards uh, medical staffing or, like, travel nurses. Okay. And so that was the route we ended up going. So we stayed the course, furnished the whole building, I mean, furnished the whole house mm. and listed it both on Furnish Finder and then on Airbnb just with a minimum 30-night stay. Mm. And it's done fantastic since then. So it's, That's uh, awesome. Can we know. talk about numbers on it? Yeah, for sure. So I'd love to know purchase, renovation, yeah. kind of monthly expenses, kind of walk through what, what that is. And then <clears throat> kind of going into it, What when, when was this? Were you still just – day trading were you with phil at this point where were you in your career it was right in between me still doing some stock market stuff working with phil kind of part-time and then filling the rest of my time with, <laughs> over at the iron house can't sit day. still i yeah. love it yeah. <laughs> but yeah I'm, for, uh, from a number standpoint we, up, we bought the house for 142 mm. and uh we put right at about 50 into it okay and so uh and you do that with Private money with a bank loan. So bought the house with private money. Okay. And then basically used our savings to renovate. Okay. And then um, right after we did that, we financed it basically. Mm-hmm. And so 
once again, I've heard about this burr method thing <laughs> on bigger pockets say, for forever, burr, right? and I'm like, okay, is this burr thing actually real? And we tried it, and it worked. I mean, the, I, it was the craziest thing walking away from the bank saying, everything we just put into this house, I have in a check right here that's going right back in I love our it. So for those who don't know, what break down what a burr is. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can remember the acronym, but it's buy, renovate, uh, rent, repeat. Maybe? Refinance, repeat. Refinance, yeah. repeat. Yeah, yeah. yeah miss another R. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's so you a, bought it, you renovated it, you put a tenant in, essentially with with yeah. furnished, finer, short, kind of midterm rental, I guess. Went to the bank, said, "Hey, we've got enough equity in here where you'll fund a certain percentage, maybe eighty, eighty-five percent of the right. value," um, and that that was enough to get all your money back. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So you're in this zero basis. That's right. No cash in. Yeah. That's amazing. So, and once again, I'd heard about it probably a thousand times on the Bigger Pocket podcast. And I was like, does this thing actually work? And it worked. Yeah. So, So what do the, what do the numbers look like today? Yeah. So the house averages, so we, we, it's probably uh, a 60% split from Airbnb guests and a 40% split with furnished finer guests. Okay. Um, And what we're seeing just, uh, for reference, is Airbnb has got the 39 minimum stay. So we see that people average stay there between 30 and 45 days. Mm-hmm. But with Furnish Finder, most hospitals do like a three-month contract. So we actually like those better because they come in and stay for about three months yeah. or three or four months and rent the house that way. So we're averaging about just under $3,000 a month uh, in revenue for the house. And so um, that's – you know, whether it's coming through Airbnb or coming through Furnish Finder. And then obviously we have, you know, lawn care and utilities and we pay for everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's how these Airbnbs work. So we got mortgage, insurance, utilities, lawn care, all that good stuff. And so right now, fairly conservatively, the, the house is uh, cash flowing a little less than $1,000 a month. Man, yeah, that's awesome. So 900 to 1000 bucks a month with zero cash in. Yeah. Now it took you close to 50,000 of, of personal cash to do that. Yeah. Could you and or would you still have done the deal if you didn't have that 50,000? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would have just because um, I think at, at the end of the day, you can go find the money, right? And so, yeah. like, uh, we're blessed to just know tremendous people that kind of, like, believe in us, I guess, a little bit. And yeah. so they're like, yeah, if, if we didn't have the money, I felt like we could have gotten the money because I knew the deal was worth doing. At least I yeah. thought based on my bigger pockets knowledge. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was, it was worth the risk to me, even if we didn't have the money. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's where it goes back to relationships so much. And, and if you go the private money route, having that, having that bubble around you that trusts you and, and understand what you're doing. But also on the flip side of that, it's it's providing an opportunity. It wasn't it wasn't free money. Yeah, I'm assuming absolutely. so, right? You That's can right. go to them and say, "Look, I know maybe I'm new at this. Um, maybe I don't have a ton of experience. Maybe this is kind of a riskier deal." Um, so, did you offer a, a pretty pretty decent return to this private money to where they're like, "Hey, this is good for me." Right? Yeah, this is absolutely. An opportunity for for that lender for sure. And, and honestly, I went to him. It was family members, yeah. and so I, I went to him as a cousin of mine, and I, I just said, "Hey, look." I'm going to go to a bank and pay this random bank interest, or I could go to you and pay that same interest to you and make money if you have no plan with the cash that's sitting in your bank account. Yeah. And so that was the approach I took. And I'm, like I said, I love spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff. So I had them a detailed amortization schedule <laughs> and all this stuff and said, here's what you're going to get paid daily, you yeah. know, throughout the whole project. If we go over, we go under, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave them a whole plan. Uh, we signed a contract. We did it all legit. And so. Um, I recorded the note and everything yeah. with the county. Yeah. Oh, no, we, uh, no, we didn't. Like promissory note? Yeah, 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 okay. a promissory note. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So we didn't record it with the county, but we 
basically had like a little DocuSign that we both signed. Yeah. Um, and just had the whole amortization schedule and all the terms on it. Yeah. Well, it's so good you did that up front. So the difference <laughs> of what you just said and how you did that versus you going to someone saying, hey, I, I think I need about 200000 bucks. Can I have it? Right. Yeah. But like you have your spreadsheets, you have here's here's the calculated numbers. Here's where I've got contingency built in. So here's the risk. Here's the set return. And here's a document binding me legally to give you this money. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different approach than just not really having a plan and just going to ask someone, please, let me have some money. Right. Yeah. It's providing an opportunity. Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's um, man, you you talk about having a great community and great family around you. But you did a ton of work on the front end to to present that opportunity you did some work with to connect with the wholesalers and and i mean there's a lot that goes into that especially while you're balancing two other jobs right <laughs> <laughs> yeah part-time jobs yeah <laughs> yeah yeah that's incredible so i love that so for people who you know we've, we get a lot of feedback and i get a lot of questions of blake i don't i've got ten thousand bucks or i've got five thousand dollars to get into it and i hear i hear austin on your podcast that you know he's cash flowing almost a thousand bucks a month but i don't have fifty thousand dollars there's a way to do it but it, mm -hmm. it started years ago building that relationship of course it's family but if it's friends that you know that could lend that money to you it's, it's building those relationships yesterday for a potential project today yeah absolutely and honestly i think you drilled it when you said like if you come to them with a plan right mm -hmm. i mean at the end of the day if you say okay here's like worst case scenario best case scenario here's every way that this thing could go and just have it written out for them don't try to lean on them with a plan they want you to come they want you to come to them with yeah. a plan, right? Yeah. So if you come to them with a plan and just say, hey, here's everything that's going to work. I can either use you or I can use a bank or I can use somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's no skin off my back if you don't want to do it. I'm just offering this opportunity to you if yeah. you want, right? And that's kind of the approach that we want. Yeah, it's, it's like a pitch. Yeah, right? exactly. It's, it's sales. At the end of the day, it just comes yeah. down to sales, which is the same across any industry. Yeah. You're just selling a return. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. exactly right. Cool. Well, I want to I want to jump back because we were talk we touched about it for a second, but let's talk about our we've got a Thursday morning mastermind. Mm -hmm. um, I think I've been in it about a year. Um, Y'all had it going for what maybe a year before that as well. Yeah, I think we started it at the beginning of twenty two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so let's dive into how that come about uh, and it, and exactly what is it? Because I love the structure, I love the consistency, the accountability. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, Todd Helzer and I are good friends yeah. and, uh, he called me up, I guess at the end of 21 and was like, Hey, I'd love to do some type of group that basically just, um, like-minded entrepreneurial type people could get together, hold each other accountable, even if they're in different industries, uh, and just kind of have like a, I mean, he essentially called it like a mastermind, right. Yep. And have something like that where we're learning from each other, but it's, we also have the accountability piece of, of making commitments and uh, going that route. So uh, I was all in. I mean, I just love <laughs> any kind of group. To, and once again, I'm extremely extroverted. So I'm like, give me around people. Let's yeah, do let's it. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, we ended up starting that group and just started, you know, dialing some people that we know to invite them to the group. And uh, that's kind of really how it started is he just wanted something. And I desired it as well after he described it to me to get together on a weekly basis and, um, have a place to bring ideas to, but also have a place that says, I got to show up and tell these guys like what I did or didn't do the past week that I committed to the week before. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. That, that weekly commitment standpoint, really, because when you're doing, like you said, iron sharpen iron. So when you're doing that just individually, it's, it's easier to cheat. Yeah. Right. But if like, I know I've got some commitments that I've still got to work on for this coming Thursday, because 
we we wrote it down, yeah. right? And it and it's in there. And six to eight other guys are saying, "This is what Blake said he's going to accomplish by next Thursday." Yeah. So I better do it. Yeah, exactly. Right? Because if not, and we even talked about you know maybe throwing in some penalties if you don't. Yeah, right? exactly. Which we don't want to skew to have you know lesser goals or lesser lesser commitments, but yeah. um, really holding your feet to the fire to say, "Look, I, I'm I'm not here to get on to you, but I'm here because." Cause I love you and your business and what you're trying to grow and, yep. and support you. And so making sure that, um, you fulfill those commitments. I love yeah, that. absolutely. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, all of us are our own best salesmen in our head, right? Like yeah. if I decide that I don't think I really have to do this this week, I can sell myself on that all day oh, long yeah. and actually not do anything. Yep. Right. But when I have to actually tell the group or just tell them leaving one Thursday that, okay, before next Thursday, I'm going to do this because that's out in the open. It holds me accountable to actually go do it. And like you said, we're not showing up on Thursdays and getting like beatings or paying a billion dollars <laughs> right. if we don't hit our commitments, right? But it's just the simple like accountability structure of saying like these guys, I told them I was going to do it and I need to do it. And sometimes I'm doing it on Wednesday night to get it done, you know? But yeah, like, oh yeah. That's part of the process. So one thing I love about the group is not just the business side of it because that, that's how, the, how it derived. But when I came in, there was more than that. It was y'all talking about how can we have a, a better life that's well-rounded and, and while, while we're not just 24-7 all business working all the time, right? Because that's unhealthy. Yeah. And so some of those commitments, and, and this is probably one of my favorite parts about what we do, is not business commitments. It's I got to take Rachel on a date because it's been way too long, right? Yep. And, and she's letting me know it, right? Like we got we to gotta go out or I need to, you know, spend some more quality time taking Stella just one-on-one -on -one doing something or, or whatever it is, like having um, something outside of just business to have that accountability piece. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because as much as I'd like to think that, no, like I've got that handled. I don't need help on that, man. I need so much help on that. Absolutely. Because so, we, we always naturally bend towards like what we want to do, right? Yeah. Or like what we're interested in in that season. Yeah. Uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, there's so much more that we, uh, that at the end, once you get to the end of your life and you look back on it, you're like, man, I cared a lot about that business for so long, but I ignored a lot of things that are way more valuable in this stage of life looking back yeah. than I thought was valuable in the time. Yep. And so really, and we've talked about this a little bit in the group, but I try to boil down when I'm looking through the commitments for each week, I kind of put it into five different categories. But first one is, uh, how's my relationship with the Lord? Like, from a spiritual standpoint, what's my life look like in that in that world? How's my relationship with physically? Am I keeping up with my body? Am I eating healthy? Am I working out? Uh, how's my relationship with my spouse or family? You know, what am I doing there to like make sure that that is healthy? Mm -hmm. And then the the fourth one uh, is actually rest. I think there's a big value in like actually getting true rest every every week. Because I, I view rest almost like a slingshot, where like if you if you get good rest, at least like honor the Sabbath type mentality, it's going to propel you so far into being productive or, or just a, a better overall, just like achiever or just person in general for the other six days of the week. If you do truly give that rest for that, for that one day. And then the fifth one is business, right? But it's interesting. I mean, when you put them in that order, business is all the way at the end. <laughs> and yeah. so many times when I wake up in the morning, I'm like business, let's do business, you know? <laughs> yeah. But those other things are like crucial in my mind to be able to like effectively live a life that's worth living. Yeah. That's so good. And having that order of priority is, is just, it's so incredibly important mm -hmm. to have that, which I, I completely agree with it. I love that. Yeah. So, cool. Um, well, cool. Well, before we wrap up, I want to talk about uh, a couple things, but the first being, 
uh, book recommendations. I know you love to read, you yeah. love new concepts um, around business, but life in general. So we'd love to get three book recommendations that uh, you're either reading now or that just kind of are on a top list for you. Yeah, so the, the most recent one I just finished, and I'm honestly uh, mimicking the, it's a playbook for small businesses. It's called How to Grow Your Small Business. It's by <laughs> Donald Miller. He's the one that wrote the story brand uh, concept. And so it's fantastic. It's really just like a playbook for how to structure these six areas of business from cash flow to sales to marketing to all these different windows. What do you care about? And he literally gives you step by step. I mean, how to manage a team, how to run meetings, like all these things. It's a, it's similar to like a traction concept, yeah. but it's just in his own uh, viewpoint. And I just really related to that. So that's the most recent and I would say, you know, top five business books for me, at least in the past five years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, second would be Who Not How. That's yeah. that's a, a common <laughs> bond uh, between you and I. I feel like that uh, when we both read that book, it just opened my eyes to a whole different way of thinking about business and really life in general. I mean, from a standpoint of not all, because I'm by nature, I'm always like an analytical thinker and want to go in and try to, you know, problem solve or like, Put it on me to figure out the mm-hmm. the solution, but that book really flipped that mindset on on its head to say like, no, people are skilled and unique abilities, and to be able to build a team with a bunch of unique abilities that like complement each other mm-hmm. will make everyone's goals drastically higher than it would have been if you just tried to do everything yourself. Yeah. So who knows how it's a fantastic book. And then let's see. Third book. Doesn't have to be business. You got to. I always bend towards business books. I yeah. mean, I love them. It's, it's sad. I, I don't think I've read any kind of fiction books <laughs> except for when I was lit, reading like Cliff Notes in high school when yeah. we had to do book reports. <laughs> um, man, third book. I mean, the E-Myth is one that I go, I read years ago, but uh, E-Myth Revisited, uh, it's basically another playbook for business and kind of mm. how, how to think about um, how to structure processes and systems to, to build something that operates without you. And that's yeah. why, I mean, I, we, I, I feel like bond over this a good bit too, from a standpoint of like trying to invest in something. So then after your time investment, it still produces and it doesn't require your time afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right. And so Emith kind of uh, really opened my eyes to how do you build something that can continue to grow when it doesn't require your time to grow. And the whole concept, and once again, I think many people have heard this, but can you leave your business for six months and it still grow without you and then yeah. come back and it's better off than when you left before. And yeah. so that's kind of the goal that I'm trying to build right now with this new company. I think the key word there is grow, not just maintain. Yeah, right? exactly. It, it, can, it can grow without you there. So you put those systems. And now I've never um, had those who not how in the e-myth talked about in, in the same sentence or sit down, but now that we're saying it, it's kind of like the same book, right? Same yeah. concepts, but E-Myth has a little bit more structure on, hey, this is actually how you implement it, and here's yeah. how you divide up those roles, or who not how is like, quit doing everything yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other people want to do this for you, and they're better at it than you, yep. right? So uh, that, that's funny, but, and they're they're pretty, I, I don't know when they were both written. I think who not how is much more recent, but I think there's a good bit of years between those two books. Oh, yeah. And it, I think it just goes back to prove, like, concepts don't change. Yeah, there is no exactly new right. magic button you can hit. It's just it, this simple process is just, you know, you got to read it and implement it. Yep, and stick exactly to it right. with accountability. 
So I love that. Well, cool. Before we wrap up, um, let's talk about where, where you're going, where you see the future, what does the next three to five years look like for you personally, for, for the business, and um, where you're headed. And, of course, your real estate journey. Is that going to grow? Yeah. No, that's fun to talk about. I love, love thinking that way. Uh, from a business standpoint, obviously, you know, the business is super fresh. We just closed on it a few months ago. And I'm just, that's all I can think about right now. I love it. And uh, so right now we are specifically in the property management space. And so that's how Phil built it out is he came from a property management background. And so we are an outsourced accounting firm for property managers. And so um, one thing I've realized doing that is I, I want to run down that lane as hard as I can because I love the industry, love uh, dealing with owners in that industry. Uh, but eventually over the next for sure, five years, we're going to be branching off into other service-based industries. Because at the end of the day, what I've realized about business ownership, specifically service-based industries, is business owners hate doing accounting, or they just like just don't like either doing it or like, dealing with it, right? Mm -hmm. And it, accounting just needs to happen. And so I would rather get business owners focused on sales and operations and us do all of their accounting, and they just know what I see in my financials is true and accurate. We're going to deliver that to them every single month and actually work with them on tweaking, increasing cash flow. Because really my heart for business owners is that I want to work with them to help them create a cash flow machine out of their business, mm -hmm. right? And so at the end of the day, every business is, uh, business performance at the end of the day is valued on one thing and it's financial results. And so if people's financials aren't accurate, then there's no way they can determine their performance, right? And so I want to deliver those accurate financials to them consistently so they can actually start understanding the performance, make decisions to tweak and to increase cash flow to create this cash flow machine. Mm -hmm. So that's really my heart. So eventually I think we'll get into, um, you know, home service based industries, whether it's HVAC companies or electricians or plumbers or anybody that can't stand to be behind a computer and right. they'd rather be out selling or, you know, running the machine or whatever, yeah. then I want to help them get all of that off their plate so they can do their job so much better and just trust and know that they have a team behind them that's delivering accurate financials because financials, once again, it's, it's a part of a business. It's a, it's a necessary thing. It's kind of like the offensive line of a business, right? You just, you got to have it. They got to show, show up and do their job consistently, 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 move the ball down the field. And that's kind of what I want to do for, for business owners. Okay. And is this for um, Johnny and a one-man truck electrician, or is this for a national scale size company or, or somewhere in between there? It's really for everybody, but it, it, it caters more towards small to medium-sized businesses. Okay. And so, and the reason I say that is, is when you get into that large-scale business, you can justify bringing a whole accounting department in-house if you mm -hmm. want to go that route. Like, once you get into that, you know, uh, on the larger scale, you probably can't afford a $200,000 a year CFO, and you probably can't afford, like, a controller and all these people that bring into the equation, like, an accounts payable and receivable and all these things we do for people now. Mm -hmm. But once again, if people want to stay with us and grow to that scale, we can grow with them to that scale because yeah. we can, I mean, we have a whole team of people that can come in and, and supply what you need no matter what size business you are. Okay. But it just tends to, I think, when you get to that scale, people want to have internal, like, leadership people on their team, mm -hmm. like a CFO. And so I think once they get to that scale, that's when they start hiring internally. But from, you know, Joe blowing a truck yeah. to um, – to a medium to even a large size business, we can we can do any of that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, real estate growth. What if there's any in the future? What does it look like? Yo, it's still I'm still always <laughs> interested. And in, uh, you know, it's funny. I try to 
I, I don't want to have shiny object syndrome. You know, I have to fall guilty of that all the time. And so uh, for me, the business right now is what I want to put my focus on a ton. And I don't want to be too distracted by just like looking at deals and thinking about, oh man, we could go buy this property or this piece of land or all these yeah. other things. But I'm always intrigued by it. And so especially now that I saw that the Irondale house actually worked, right? I went from never doing real estate to doing a house and it, the thing actually worked. Mm-hmm. That it, it, Very well. And it, That's thousand yeah. bucks a month is nothing to... Yeah, exactly. And so it it makes it obviously I'm very intrigued by that. And I really do love the Airbnb space. And so I think our next project, don't know when that's going to come or what location it's going to be, but we'll be a true Airbnb where they're staying one night, two night, three nights versus a 30 night minimum Mm -hmm. stay. And just kind of honestly just want to see how does that work compared to the Irondale house and see uh, is there more of a profit there, or less of a profit there, you know, between the systems and processes and build it out. Cause that's really what I, I, I lean to. And that's why I love the Airbnb spaces because you can develop that whole model with systems and processes. And that's what I try to do in our business. Right. I, mm-hmm. That's what I naturally gravitate to is like creating businesses and processes to kind of that e-myth solution type yeah. deal. And I think you can do that in Airbnb space. And that's what attracted me to it yeah i love that well if you decide to look on uh on the lake i've got that one i'm flipping i'll That's be right. happy to sell it to you. <laughs> well cool well thank you so it. much for being here yeah. uh, if people want to learn more about you and your business where should we send them well i need to learn from you blake because i'm not on any social media <laughs> but uh my email address i guess is the best place yeah. to do it. We're, we're building out a website right now for okay. we just rebranded the business and we hadn't talked about the so, name so what was yeah the, flywheel financials flywheel financial yeah. okay yeah do we, so, do we know a website uh, name? We it's going to be flywheel.financial. Okay. Yep. So eventually in the next few months, that'll be up and running. Okay. Nothing on there right now. So really my, my email address is austin at flywheel.financial. And so it. if anybody has any questions, feel free to email me anytime. But cool. thanks we'll, for having me on. We'll man. Put that in the show great. notes, but thank you for being here and we'll see you soon. Sounds great. Thanks. Austin, I'm taking over the show today. Uh, wanted to have you on and just kind of talk about life, talk about how we know each other, talk about where what you do and and who you are. So um, let's let's dive in. Tell the audience who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, moved to Birmingham about a decade ago, and uh, right out of college, and started working for a uh, landscape company here in town, bigger landscape company. We were all over the southeast. And I was on the financial side, and I worked there for seven years. And so uh, about year six to seven, I realized it was kind of my time to leave uh, the landscape world. And the, it was honestly just a leap of faith for me. I didn't, had no clue what my next step was. I just knew that I was supposed to leave, but I didn't know uh, what that looked like afterwards. And the only thing I had been doing at the time was trading options in the stock market. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to give this thing a try, just give it 100% of my time and see what I can do. And so I tried that for about a year and a half Mm. and realized, really honestly, just understood a lot about myself going through that season and understood that I'm an extrovert and I'm behind a computer all day, every day looking (laughs) at stock charts. (laughs) Didn't honestly love that. And so really two things I learned in the the stock market was uh, learn about myself, about what I liked and what I didn't like. And then the second thing was, is I realized I really didn't have a competitive advantage for what my unique skill set was that I felt like that I brought to the market inside of the stock market. 
because I had a MacBook and a charter internet connection while hedge fund managers are sitting around a table with billionaires trying to figure out where they're going to push money. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't have a a big competitive advantage in that world. And so um, I just decided to uh, try to pivot from there and see what my next steps were. And along that journey is when I actually met a guy named Phil Mazur, Mm -hmm. who started a company about six years ago uh, called CFO Mission. And he was a fractional CFO outsourced accounting firm for property managers. And so um, I worked for with him. Basically, we just met uh, at a cafe one day uh, in our church and uh, just kind of hit it off from day one. And he was, I was working on stocks. He was working on building his business. And uh, we just became friends, started running together and, and um, just tried to hang out a good bit. And then he just said, hey, man, if you ever want to help me build this business, let's do it. And so that really, and that was kind of in that middle of that year and a half phase of me doing stocks. And that's when I was kind of like, man, should I continue doing this? I'm just isolated by myself and Phil's wanting to build this business. And I'm very intrigued by just small businesses in general. Mm-hmm. And so from there, I uh, just started working with them. Just a few hours a week that led more into half my week that led more into basically working for him full time and running the operations for him while he was trying to grow the business and head up sales and that kind of deal. Mm-hmm. How big was the company when you joined at that time? As far as so, number of people, I guess, where you work along, alongside a lot of people during that time? Yeah, so we had, um, I guess there was four of us full-time at that point. I was kind of that third person that mm-hmm. came on, and then we hired an additional person after me. So it was okay. five full-time, and then we actually had a team of virtual assistants mm-hmm. that did a lot of the um, clerical, day-to-day task management type stuff. Okay. And so that team was probably anywhere from six to seven people, and then we had the five full-timers. Okay, nice. Yeah, going in. And so from there, uh, I can talk about this all day. Yeah, so. come on. I love it. <laughs> but uh, from there, uh, just working with Phil, uh, we were you know growing the business, and I was loving it. And, and like I said, he was doing the sales side. I was doing the operations side. And I just kind of put the bug in, the, in his ear uh, – last year that hey man if you ever consider selling this business I would love to buy the business and so I think he was thrown off a little bit at first because he had never thought that that's kind of like what the direction I was going and uh, I knew that um, ultimately I wanted to do my own thing I just didn't know what that looked like and Mm -hmm. so uh, I kind of talked to him about that and a few months went by and he came back to me and he was like hey man let's have that conversation again about selling the business and so we went through that whole process of doing that i'm you know happy to share whatever you want to know yeah about i want that to talk process, about that but, but i mean you're um that's a big deal right yep. i mean buying a business that, that concept is newer to me um and and it derived a little bit from how we met which we'll get into that in a little bit but yeah. um i mean there's got to be a lot of a lot of nerves around that right yeah yeah for sure i mean it was uh you know once again we started with the friendship first right yeah. and then we led into being like business friends mm-hmm. And so the biggest thing, what my viewpoint walking into that was, I don't want anything to like uh, put a wedge between our friendship. To me, the relationship came first and the Mm -hmm. business came second. As much as I desired to buy that business because I loved it and learned about it over working with them for two years and and, and understanding it, I didn't want to do anything that kind of like jeopardized the relationship. Mm And so he knew that, I knew that, and we were we had been, become such good friends that we thought similarly. It was just like, it was never really like this, um, kind of like, 
I don't want to talk to him about this kind of thing. We were just always open along yeah. the whole way. But it was nerve-wracking because, like, I had never done anything like that before, right? <laughs> right. I, mean, like, it, I mean, it was just something that I listened to a bunch of podcasts about and tried to trying to become somewhat knowledgeable about how to evaluate businesses. And I got to do that a little bit in the landscape world because we were acquiring uh, a bunch of uh, smaller landscape companies when we were building that business. And so um, I had a little bit of knowledge there, but it was still just this – Man, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's just figure this thing out. Yeah. So when you were at the landscaping company, you were on the accounting and numbers side. So you got to see how the finances worked when you purchased a smaller company. So you had some experience with that side of it. Yep, exactly. Uh, and then I guess being an, an outsourced accounting company, it, it would it's literally your job to understand the numbers. So if yeah. you're purchasing a company you know, for yourself, then that's the first thing you look at. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. And so, so the landscape company was owned by an investment group here in town. And so mm -hmm. I got to see what they cared about as an investment firm owning a landscape company, okay. right? Just by being, I was an employee by the landscape company, but I got to see what they cared about. And so I saw what markets they were interested in, how they evaluated businesses, uh, how they talked with business owners and what they put a value. I mean, they would come in and put a value on their business and uh, basically say, yeah, you're not right? And so I got to see and be a part of that which kind of led into me taking that experience and knowledge into a whole different industry, but you can still evaluate businesses similarly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Hey, okay. So you go in, you have the conversation, he's open to it. Um, what, what's the, give me a time frame on how long this, this takes place from the initial, Hey, I'm interested. You said a couple months went by and he, let's yeah. say revisit this to ultimately spoil alert, but purchasing the company, right? Yeah, so yeah. What, what does that look like? So, we were doing our 2023 planning for the company in December of 22. And that's when I just put that bug in his ear. I was like, Hey, I'd you know, love to buy the business. Have you ever thought about that? And then I would say it was March. Uh, I think it was, I think it was March of this year where he came back and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something different and I'd love to reconsider, you know, possibly selling this business to you. So we started having those conversations in March. And so mm -hmm. we, I think we ended up really the next step after that, when he came to me, he said, listen, I have a specific number in my mind of what I think the business is worth, but you go do your homework and see what the business is worth to you. And then let's meet again. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And that's, we've been in a group together for <laughs> probably six months or longer to the, before yeah. that day. Yeah. And so I was asking you a bunch of questions and we were, getting together, just trying to figure out like, okay, what do I even do here? And so uh, I came back in, tried to pull some of that experience from landscape world to evaluate that business. And uh, we went back and forth probably three to four times mm -hmm. uh, before we came to an agreement on what we thought the business was worth that we both agreed to. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, I'm happy to dive into kind of how I, how I evaluated the business, but. Yeah, I'd love to hear um, a little bit about that. And then, and then kind of from a 30,000 foot view um, what went into that just kind of from a mental and like emotional standpoint, again, that, that's to me initially sounds very overwhelming of buying a business and there's just so many moving pieces. Um, and so I want to, I want to hear about that as well, but yeah, if you want to touch on uh, that first. Yeah, for sure. So, so the, the way we went in, there's two ways in my mind that you can evaluate really small businesses. The first one is just a percentage of revenue, right? So mm -hmm. like a lot of times small businesses, this is why we, I love the accounting space because a lot of small businesses don't have a clue if their books are accurate or not. So if you go in there and look at a P&L statement, you have no clue if the profit is actually accurate or not. So you're like, man, if, they're, if these books aren't accurate, I can't actually put a true evaluation on this. So yeah. a lot of people, and this is what we ended up doing in the landscape world, was 
you just do a percentage of what their top line revenue was. Like what is their contractual revenue and we're gonna offer them a percentage of that. And so um, that's one way to do it. The way I did it with Phil, because we knew the books were accurate, because we're you know, accounting for it's them, your job. <laughs> is that I knew what the profit was. So the other option of evaluating businesses, and this is probably what you hear more in like the stock market world or the you know, bigger public companies, is they do a percentage or a multiple of EBITDA, which is earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. Mm. And so that's what I ended up doing because I knew the true profit of the business, and I just did a multiple of that based on what I thought was a fair market value for that business. Mm -hmm. And so, and what was your second question? Just from a, a high level, the, the mental and emotional state going through that, because you're, you're married, yeah. right? And so you've got a family that you're also um, taking care of and balancing, and, and that's a whole new set of risks and a new yeah. endeavor. So what, you know, just from a approach from that standpoint, what yeah. would that look like? So it, uh, you're exactly right. So my wife is very, uh, um, I guess, conservative and consistent, <laughs> and uh, I'm more of the let's go try things and do all that yeah. kind of stuff. But one thing I'm super grateful for because she uh, she works a job and actually all of our benefits, healthcare, all of that stuff come through her job. So we have the ability to me to go to kind of take risks like yeah. trying the stock market thing and trying these things where there's like, there's no benefits of like that most people feel security in yeah. when you go to uh, try these things. So it's given me a little bit of the freedom that maybe some other people don't have that we can go try different things knowing that she still has a salary coming in and she has health care if anything drastic happens, right? Um, so it gave me a, a little bit of peace knowing that, but it was still, like you said, very nerve-wracking because I was looking at these numbers and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to take on debt to purchase the company, right? And so uh, I could purchase this company and the way our our uh, business works is it's just month to month. There's no contractual agreements with our clients. So it's mm -hmm. like if we we have to show up every month to provide you a good service, and if we're not, then you can dip out. And we understand we want that freedom for our clients. Yeah. And so I was thinking, man, I could take the reins of this thing, and two months in, they could all dip, and now I'm like, I have this big note I got to pay. Yeah. And no clients, I got to figure out what to do with it. So that was probably the biggest nerve wracking thing for me. So when I looked at the numbers, I was comfortable giving a a multiple of EBITDA where I didn't want to have a loan extend out more than 24 months. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I shot to do is that say, okay, I know I got to get a loan out for this, but if I can make it 24 months, then the business is paid for free and clear. And then I can go from there. I don't want to extend something out where, especially when people are month to month going five years, 10 years, mm -hmm. uh, extending out a note that way. So I wanted that number to be on that 24 month range. Yeah. So you kind of look at, uh, what's worst case and let's mitigate our risk as much as possible. And yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe our return for the next 24 months isn't as sexy as it could be. But after that, it's going to, it's just going to be that much better That's exactly right. and our risk is much less lower. Yes, exactly. Right. I mean, from a yeah. business owner, I would much rather take in less money. It just has profit from the business that's actually paying me to, to pay that loan down quicker. Mm -hmm. Right. And then be able to kind of propel myself into the next season with no debt. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's one thing I love about how you structured this is that the discipline for delayed gratification. Right. And that's, that's so hard one. Cause there's, there's risk in that. Like your cash flow is lower. Um, you've got an opportunity with Sam helping you out on, uh, or helping your family out just from a survival standpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is some people would say, Oh, well, I don't have that opportunity. So I couldn't do that. But I think taking that risk instead of you've got a comfortable job, you're, you're skilled, you could go get hired and just have a nine to five forever and be fine and comfortable. But yeah. 
taking that risk and taking that step because the potential of what it could be is just so high. And, and man, I just, I love that you, you did that. I, I love that you just took that risk and, and you put yourself out there to just say, look, I'm, I'm made. And uh, this resonate resonates with me. Like I'm, I'm made for more than just punching a clock and, and going to do something. Like I want to build something that can have lasting effect on more than just me. Yeah, absolutely. Right? No, I, I fully agree with that. And honestly, being with you during this whole season, I mean, you were with me along the way of buying this business and one of the things, I mean, we've all probably heard this a thousand times, but you're, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? And so you, me seeing what you do with your life encouraged me to take bigger steps of faith in my life just because I'm like, well, if Blake's doing it, I kind of want to do it too. You know, I'm seeing <laughs> him, him do things, even though we're in different industries. Yeah. I'm seeing him do things that are putting risk on the table to go do, do stuff to, mm-hmm. you know, propel his family forward and propel his career forward and do all these things. So it gave me kind of courage to do that as well. And so when you get around like-minded individuals like we do on Thursdays, um, it's just, a, it's so much of a bigger benefit than I ever imagined possible just by hearing what other people are doing that like um, just encourages everybody in the group, right? Yeah. And so it just, yeah, it's a game changer for me. Yeah, like you said, that's been said and, and everyone's heard it so many times, but actually to live out surrounding yourself with people that, make you better and really mm-hmm. reflecting on where you're spending your time, who you're spending your time with. Uh, I mean, we're living that out. And I want to talk about that group in a minute and yeah. just all the growth we've seen, not just in our businesses, but just in other people in the group as well. And it's not a huge group. Um, that's just been super impactful. So uh, I do want to talk about that, but um, I can't let this opportunity pass to not tie in what you're doing to real estate since this yeah. is a real estate <laughs> podcast. Um, and you've got some real estate we're going to talk about at the end of this, but yeah. um it's so similar when when you're talking about evaluating this company, you're looking at uh, our look at the the gross income or the revenue, right? So if I'm, I'm my mind goes to an apartment complex, yep. so what's the potential rent coming in? What are the expenses? And is the seller, if I'm looking to buy it, are they telling me the correct expenses? So I've got to verify that yeah, exactly. I know what the NOI is or I know what the profit is, yep. uh, and then basing a an offer or evaluation off of those numbers. It's the same thing. Yeah. Right. Different exactly industry, right. but exact same thing. Yep. Uh, and so I love that. So people are, um, you know, when, when you're trying to analyze buying a business or buying some real estate, it it's really it's the same process, mm-hmm. which is pretty simple. Income minus expenses. There's your value. Yeah, exactly. Right. You just got to just verify that all those are correct. Yep. I love that. Um, all right. So how did we meet? Right. We had I think we had lunch yep. with. Was it Josh or Josh? Todd? Josh, yeah. okay. Yeah, Josh connected us. He, yeah. I can't remember how you and Josh met, but Josh and I had been friends. We've been friends for three plus years, I guess now. And he just called me up one day. He was like, "Man, I got this friend Blake. We had to go get lunch." And he's a great connector. I mean, Josh is, is yeah. an awesome. Yeah. I, I feel like that's his passion in life. It's just yeah. to connect people. And yeah. so, shout out Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. So we got the three of us got lunch uh, down in Homewood, I guess. And that's really where. I was super interested because we had just done the Irondale house. Yeah. And I was like coming off this high of like saying, this actually worked. So, <laughs> so what, what is, what is the Irondale house? Let's, let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, um, I like everybody have been listening to bigger pockets for years and never did anything with it. Right. And so, uh, was doing that while working the different jobs that I had been working and was interested, started to get more and more interested in real estate. So I started to get on some wholesaler list of mm-hmm. just like saying, okay, what are, houses in Birmingham going for kind of off market, that kind of deal. And I had become very interested in the Airbnb space versus the long-term rental space. And so that was kind of my first stab to say like, I'm actually gonna start paying attention to these wholesaler emails and see 
what happens if we can do something. So essentially got an email from a wholesaler on an Irondale house and Sam and I, my wife and I went and looked at it, built in 1920, loved the area, loved the, loved the house and saw big potential for it being a Airbnb because it's 10 minutes from downtown and mm-hmm. had a good little community over there. And so we bought the house within, with the basically thought of let's make this thing an Airbnb. So actually halfway through the renovation, so bought the house. It, it was in decent shape, but just needed some lipstick, basically. Mm-hmm. It made it look, look pretty. And so um, we started doing redoing the bathroom, redoing the kitchen and all these things. And halfway through the renovation, the city of Irondale actually uh, outlawed Airbnbs because of, because of an incident there. Yeah. So we were like, oh, shoot, our whole plan was to do Airbnb. You know, like, what are we going to do? And so by law in Irondale, it's 30-day minimum night stay. Okay. And so I just started doing some research because I was like, I still think there's, a, like, an opportunity for a shorter-term rental than just the 12-month traditional lease. And so um, I just, yeah, we started doing research and found this uh, platform called Furnish Finder, which mm-hmm. caters towards uh, medical staffing or, like, travel nurses. Okay. And so that was the route we ended up going. So we stayed the course, furnished the whole building, I mean, furnished the whole house mm. and listed it both on Furnished Finder and then on Airbnb just with a minimum 30-night stay. Mm. And it's done fantastic since then. So it's, That's uh, awesome. Can we know. talk about numbers on it? Yeah, for sure. So I'd love to know purchase, renovation, yeah. kind of monthly expenses, kind of walk through what, what that is. And then <clears throat> kind of going into it, What when, when was this? Were you still just day trading were you with phil at this point where were you in your career it was right in between me still doing some stock market stuff working with phil kind of part-time and then filling the rest of my time with, <laughs> over at the iron house can't sit day. still i yeah. love it yeah. <laughs> but yeah I'm, for, uh, from a number standpoint we, up, we bought the house for 142 mm. and uh we put right at about 50 into it okay and so uh and you do that with Private money with a bank loan. So bought the house with private money. Okay. And then basically used our savings to renovate. Okay. And then um, right after we did that, we financed it basically. Mm. And so once again, I've heard about this Burr method thing. <laughs> I was just about to say that's for the forever, burr, right? And I'm like, okay, is this Burr thing actually real? And we tried it and it worked. I mean, the, I, it was the craziest thing walking away from the bank saying, Everything we just put into this house, I have in a check right here that's going right back in I love our it. So for those who don't know, what break down what a burr is. Yeah, I'm going to see if I can remember the acronym, but it's buy, renovate, uh, rent, repeat, maybe? Refinance, repeat. Refinance, yeah. repeat. Yeah, yeah. yeah miss another R. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's so a, you bought it, you renovated it, you put a tenant in, essentially, with, with yeah. furnished finder short, kind of midterm rental, I guess. Went to the bank, said hey, we've got enough equity in here where you'll fund a certain percentage, maybe 80, 85% of That's the right. value. Um, and that that was enough to get all your money back? Yep. Wow. Yeah. So you're in this zero basis. That's right. No cash in. Yeah. That's amazing. So, and once again, I'd heard about it probably a thousand times on the Bigger yeah. Podcast. And I was like, is this thing actually work? And it worked. Yeah. And so so what, do the, what do the numbers look like today? Yeah, so the house averages, so we, we it's probably – uh, a 60% split from Airbnb guests and a 40% split with furnished finder guests. Okay. Um, and what we're seeing just uh, for reference is Airbnb has got the 30 night minimum stay. So we see that people average stay there between 30 and 45 days. Mm-hmm. But with furnished finder, most hospitals do like a three month contract. So we actually like those better because they come in and stay for about three months yeah. or three or four months. 
and rent the house that way. So we're averaging about just under $3,000 a month uh, in revenue for the house. And so um, that's you know, whether it's coming through Airbnb or coming through Furnish Finder. And then obviously we have, you know, lawn care and utilities and we pay for everything, right? Mm-hmm. That's how these Airbnbs work. So we got mortgage, insurance, utilities, lawn care, all that good stuff. And so right now, fairly conservatively, the, the house is uh, cash flowing a little less than $1,000 a month. Man, yeah, that's awesome. So 900 to 1000 bucks a month with zero cash in. Yeah. Now, it took you close to 50000 of of personal cash to do that. Yeah. Could you and or would you still have done the deal if you didn't have that 50000 Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would have just because um, I think at, at the end of the day, you can go find the money, right? And so, yeah. like, uh, we're blessed to just know tremendous people that kind of, like, believe in us, I guess, a little bit. And yeah. so they're like, yeah, if, if we didn't have the money, I felt like we could have gotten the money because I knew the deal was worth doing. At least I yeah. thought based on my bigger pockets knowledge, <laughs> right? Yeah. But it was, it was worth the risk to me, even if we didn't have the money. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's where it goes back to relationships so much. And, and if you go the private money route, having that, having that bubble around you that trusts you and, and understand what you're doing, but also on the flip side of that, it's it's providing an opportunity. It wasn't it wasn't free money. Yeah, I'm assuming absolutely. so, right? You That's can right. go to them and say, "Look, I know maybe I'm new at this. Um, maybe I don't have a ton of experience. Maybe this is kind of a riskier deal." Um, so, did you offer a, a pretty pretty decent return to this private money to where they're like, "Hey, this is good for me. Right? Yeah, this is an absolutely. opportunity for for that lender for sure." And, th- and honestly, I went to him. It was family members, yeah. and so I, I went to him as a cousin of mine, and I just said, "Hey, look." I'm going to go to a bank and pay this random bank interest, or I could go to you and pay that same interest to you and make money if you have no plan with the cash that's sitting in your bank account. Yeah. And so that was the approach I took. And I'm, like I said, I love spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff. So I had them a detailed amortization schedule <laughs> and all this stuff and said, here's what you're getting paid daily, you know, yeah. throughout the whole project. If we go over, we go under, this is how it works. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave them a whole plan. Uh, we signed a contract. We did it all legit. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I recorded the note and everything yeah. with the county. Yeah. Oh, no, we, uh, no, just we like didn't. promissory note? Yeah, 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 okay. a promissory note. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So we didn't record it with the county, but we basically had like a little docu-sign that we both signed. Yeah. Um, and just had the whole amortization schedule and all the terms on it. Yeah. Well, it's so good you did that up front. So the difference <laughs> of what you just said and how you did that versus you going to someone saying, hey, I, I think I need about 200000 bucks. Can I have it? Right? Yeah. But like you have your spreadsheets, you have here's here's the calculated numbers. Here's where I've got contingency built in. So here's the risk. Here's the set return. And here's a document binding me legally to give you this money, right? Mm-hmm. That's a whole different approach than just not really having a plan and just going to ask someone, please let me have some money, right? Yeah. It's providing an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's, um, man, you, you talk about having a great community and great family around you, but you did a ton of work on the front end to, to present that opportunity. You did some work with, to connect with the wholesalers and and I mean, there's a lot that goes into that, especially while you're balancing two other jobs, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part-time jobs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's incredible. So I love that. So for people who, you know, we've, we get a lot of feedback and I get a lot of questions of Blake, I don't, I've got 10,000 bucks or I've got $5,000 to get into it. And I hear, I hear Austin on your podcast that, you know, he's cash flowing almost a thousand bucks a month, but I don't have $50,000. There's a way to do it, but it, mm-hmm. it started years ago building that relationship of course it's family but if it's friends that you know that could lend that money to you it's, it's building those relationships yesterday for a potential project today yeah absolutely and honestly i think you drilled it when you said like if you come 
to them with a plan, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, if you say, okay, here's like worst case scenario, best case scenario, and here's every way that this thing could go and just have it written out for them, don't try to lean on them with a plan. They want you to come they want you to come to them with yeah. a plan, right? Yeah. So if you come to them with a plan and just say, hey, here's everything that's going to work. I can either use you or I can use a bank or I can use somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's no skin off my back if you don't want to do it. I'm just offering this opportunity to you if yeah. you want, right? And that's kind of the approach that we want. Yeah, it's, it's like a pitch, yeah, right? Exactly. It's, it's sales. At the end of the day, it just comes yeah. down to sales, which is the same across any industry. Yeah. You're just selling a return. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. exactly right. Cool. Well, I want to I want to jump back because we were talk we touched about it for a second, but let's talk about our we've got a Thursday morning mastermind. Mm. Um, I think I've been in it about a year. Um, y'all had it going for what maybe a year before that as well. Yeah, I think we started it at the beginning of twenty two. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so let's dive into how'd that come about uh, and it, and exactly what is it? Because I love the structure, I love the consistency, the accountability. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So, uh, Todd Helzer and I are good friends yeah. and, uh, he called me up, I guess at the end of 21 and was like, Hey, I'd love to do some type of group that basically just, um, like-minded entrepreneurial type people could get together, hold each other accountable, even if they're in different industries, uh, and just kind of have like a, I mean, he essentially called it like a mastermind, right? Yep. And have something like that where we're learning from each other, but it's, we also have the accountability piece of, of making commitments and uh, going that route. So uh, I was all in. I mean, I just love <laughs> any kind of group. To, and once again, I'm extremely extroverted. So I'm like, give me around people. Let's yeah, do let's it. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, we ended up starting that group and just started, you know, dialing some people that we know to invite them to the group. And uh, that's kind of really how it started is he just wanted something. And I desired it as well after he described it to me to get together on a weekly basis and, um, have a place to bring ideas to, but also have a place that says, I got to show up and tell these guys like what I did or didn't do the past week that I committed to the week before. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how it all started. Yeah. That, that weekly commitment standpoint, really, because when you're doing, like you said, iron sharpen iron. So when you're doing that just individually, it's, it's easier to cheat. Yeah. Right. But if like, I know I've got some commitments that I've still got to work on for this coming Thursday because we, we wrote it down. Yeah. Right, and it and it's in there, and six to eight other guys are saying, "This is what Blake said he's going to accomplish by next Thursday." Yeah, so I better do it. Yeah, exactly. Because right? if not, and we even talked about you know maybe throwing in some penalties if you don't. Yeah, right? exactly. Which we don't want to skew to have you know lesser goals or lesser lesser commitments, but yeah. um, really holding your feet to the fire to say, "Look, I, I'm I'm not here to get on to you, but I'm here because because I love you and your business and what you're trying to grow and yep. and support you, and so making sure that." Um, you fulfill those commitments. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, all of us are our own best salesmen in our head, right? Like, if I decide that I don't think I really have to do this this week, I can sell myself on that all day long and actually not do anything, right? But when I have to actually tell the group or just tell them leaving one Thursday that, okay, before next Thursday, I'm going to do this, because that's out in the open, it holds me accountable to actually go do it. And like you said, we're not Mm -hmm. showing up on Thursdays and getting, like, beatings or paying a billion dollars if we don't hit our commitments right but it's just the simple like accountability structure of saying like these guys I told them I was going to do it and I need to do it and sometimes I'm doing it on Wednesday night to get it done you know but yeah, like, oh yeah that's part of the process so one thing I love about the group is not just the business side of it because that that's how the how it derived but when I came in there was more than that it was y'all talking about how can we have a, a better life that's well-rounded and 
and while while we're not just 24 7 all business working all the time right because that's unhealthy yeah and so some of those commitments and and this is probably one of my favorite parts about what we do is not business commitments it's i got to take rachel on a date because it's been way too long right yep. and, and she's letting me know it right like we gotta we gotta go out or i need to you know spend some more quality time taking stella just one-on-one -on -one doing something or or whatever it is like having um, something outside of just business to have that accountability piece. Yeah, um, absolutely. Because as much as I'd like to think that, no, like I've got that handled. I don't need help on that, man. I need so much help on that. Absolutely. So, we, Cause we always naturally bend towards like what we want to do, right? Yeah. Or like what we're interested in in that season. Yeah. Uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, there's so much more that we, uh, that at the end, once you get the end of your life and you look back on it, you're like, man, I cared a lot about that business for so long, but I ignored a lot of things that are way more valuable in this stage of life looking back yeah. than I thought was valuable in the time. Yep. And so really, and we talked about this a little bit in the group, but I try to boil down when I'm looking through the commitments for each week, I kind of put it into five different categories. But first one is, uh, how's my relationship with the Lord? Like from a spiritual standpoint, what's my life look like in that, in that world? How's my relationship with physically? Am I keeping up with my body? Am I eating healthy? Am I working out? Uh, how's my relationship with my spouse or family? You know, what am I doing there to like make sure that that is healthy? Yeah. And then the the fourth one uh, is actually rest. I think there's a big value in like actually getting true rest every re every week. Because I, I view rest almost like a slingshot, where like if you if you get good rest, at least like honor the Sabbath type mentality, it's going to propel you so far into being productive or or just a, a better overall, just like achiever, or just person in general for the other six days of the week. If you do truly give that rest for that mm -hmm. for that one day, and then the fifth one is business, right? But it's interesting. I mean, when you put them in that order, business is all the way at the end. <laughs> yeah. And so many times when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, business, let's do business, you know. <laughs> yeah. But those other things are like crucial in my mind to be able to like effectively live a life that's worth living. Yeah, that's so good. And having that order of priority is is just. It's so incredibly important mm -hmm. to have that, which I, I completely agree with it. I love that. Yeah. So, cool. Um, well, cool. Well, before we wrap up, I want to talk about uh, a couple things, but the first being uh, book recommendations. I know you love to read, you yeah. love new concepts um, around business, but life in general. So we'd love to get three book recommendations that uh, you're either reading now or that just kind of are on a top list for you. Yeah, so the, the most recent one I just finished, and I'm honestly uh, mimicking the – it's a playbook for small businesses. It's called How to Grow Your Small Business. It's by <laughs> Donald Miller. He's the one that wrote the story brand uh, concept, and so it's fantastic. It's really just like a playbook for how to structure these six areas of business from cash flow to sales to marketing to all these different windows. What do you care about? And he literally gives you step by step. I mean, how to manage a team, how to run meetings, like all these things. It's a, it's similar to like a traction concept, yeah. but it's just in his own uh, viewpoint. And I just really related to that. So that's the most recent and I would say, you know, top five business books for me, at least in the past five years or so. Mm -hmm. um, second would be Who Not How. That's yeah. that's a, a common <laughs> bond between you and I. I feel like that uh, when we both read that book, it just opened my eyes to a whole different way of thinking about business and really life in general. I mean, from a standpoint of not all, because I'm by nature, I'm always like an analytical thinker and want to go in and try to, you know, problem solve or like put it on me to figure out the, mm -hmm. the solution. But that book really flipped that mindset on, on its head to say like, no, people are skilled and unique abilities. And to be able to build a team with a bunch of unique abilities that like, 
complement each other will make everyone's goals drastically higher than it would have been if you just tried to do everything yourself. Yeah. So Who Not How is a fantastic book. And then let's see. Third book. Doesn't have to be business. You got to. I always bend towards business books. I mean, yeah. I love them. It's, it's sad. I, I don't think I've read any kind of fiction books, <laughs> except for when I was lit reading like Cliff Notes in high school when yeah. we had to do book reports. <laughs> um, man, third book. I mean, the E Myth is one that I go. I read years ago, but uh, E Myth Revisited. Uh, it's basically another playbook for business and kind of mm. how, how to think about. Um, how to structure processes and systems to, to build something that operates without you. And that's yeah. why, I mean, I, we, I, I feel like bond over this a good bit too, from a standpoint of like trying to invest in something. So then after your time investment, it still produces and it doesn't require your time afterwards. Mm-hmm. Right. And so E-Myth kind of uh, really opened my eyes to how do you build something that can continue to grow when it doesn't require your time to grow. And the whole concept, and once again, I think many people have heard this, but can you leave your business for six months and it still grow without you and then yeah. come back and it's better off than when you left before? And yeah. so that's kind of the goal that I'm trying to build right now with this new company. I think the key word there is grow, not just maintain. Yeah, right? exactly. It, it, can, it can grow without you there, so you put those systems. And now I've never um, had those who, not how, in the e-myth talked about in the same sentence or sit down, but now that we're saying it, it's kind of like the same book, right? Same yeah. concepts, but E-Myth has a little bit more structure on, hey, this is actually how you implement it, and here's yeah. how you divide up those roles, or who not how is like, quit doing everything yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Other people want to do this for you, and they're better at it than you, yep. right? So uh, that, that's funny, but, and they're, they're pretty, I don't know when they were both written. I think who not how is much more recent, but I think there's a good bit of years between those two books. Oh, yeah. And it, I think it just goes back to prove, like, Concepts don't change. Yeah, there is no exactly new right. magic button you can hit. It's just it, it's a simple process. It's just, you know, you got to read it and implement it yep, and stick exactly to it with right. accountability. So I love that. Well, cool. Before we wrap up, um, let's talk about where, where you're going, where you see the future. What does the next three to five years look like for you personally, for, for the business, and um, where are you headed? And, of course, your real estate journey. Is that going to grow? Yeah. No, that's fun to talk about. I love, love thinking that way. Uh, from a business standpoint, obviously, you know, the business is super fresh. We just closed on it a few months ago and I'm just, that's all I can think about right now. I love it. And, uh, so right now we are specifically in the property management space. And so that's how Phil built it out is he came from a property management background. And so we are an outsourced accounting firm for property managers. And so, um, one thing I've realized doing that is I, I want to run down that lane as hard as I can, because I love the industry, love uh, dealing with owners in that industry. Uh, but eventually, over the next, for sure, five years, we're going to be branching off into other service-based industries. Because at the end of the day, what I've realized about business ownership, specifically service-based industries, is business owners hate doing accounting. Or they just, like, just don't, like, either doing it or like, dealing with it, right? Mm-hmm. And it, accounting just needs to happen. And so I would rather get business owners focused on sales and operations and us do all of their accounting. And they just know what I see in my financials is true and accurate. We're going to deliver that to them every single month and actually work with them on tweaking, increasing cash flow. Because really my heart for business owners is that I want to work with them to help them create a cash flow machine out of their business. Mm -hmm. Right. And so at the end of the day, every business 
is uh, business performance at the end of the day is valued on one thing and it's financial results. And so if people's financials aren't accurate, then there's no way they can determine their performance, right? And so I want to deliver those accurate financials to them consistently so they can actually start understanding the performance, make decisions to tweak and to increase cash flow to create this cash flow machine. Mm -hmm. So that's really my heart. So eventually I think we'll get into, um, you know, home service-based industries, whether it's HVAC companies or electricians or plumbers or anybody that can't stand to be behind a computer and they'd rather be out selling or, you know, running a machine or whatever, then I want to help them get all of that off their plate so they can do their job so much better and just trust and know that they have a team behind them that's delivering accurate financials because financials, once again, it's, it's a part of a business. It's a, it's a necessary thing. It's kind of like the offensive line of a business, right? You just, mm-hmm. you got to have it. They got to show, show up and do their job consistently, 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 move the ball down the field. And that's kind of what I want to do for, for business owners. Okay. And is this for um, Johnny and a one-man truck electrician, or is this for a national scale size company or, or somewhere in between there? It's really for everybody, but it, it, it caters more towards small to medium-sized businesses. Okay. And so, and the reason I say that is, is when you get into that large-scale business, you can justify bringing a whole accounting department in-house if you mm-hmm. want to go that route. Like, once you get into that, you know, uh, on the larger scale, you probably can't afford a $200,000 a year CFO, and you probably can't afford, like, a controller and all these people that bring into the equation, like an accounts payable and receivable and all these things we do for people now. Mm-hmm. But once again, if people want to stay with us and grow to that scale, we can grow with them to that scale because yeah. we can, I mean, we have a whole team of people that can come in and, and supply what you need no matter what size business you are. Okay. But it just tends to, I think, when you get to that scale, people want to have internal like leadership people on their team, mm-hmm. like a CFO. And so I think once they get to that scale, that's when they start hiring internally. But from, you know, Joe blowing a truck yeah. to um, – to a medium to even a large size business, we can we can do any of that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, real estate growth. What if there's any in the future? What does it look like? Yo, it's still I'm still always <laughs> interested, and uh, you know it's funny. I try to. I, I don't want to have shiny object syndrome. You know, I have to fall guilty of that all the time. And so, uh, for me, the business right now is what I want to put my focus on a ton. And I don't want to be too distracted by just like looking at deals and thinking about, oh man, we could go buy this property or this piece of land or all these yeah. other things. But I'm always intrigued by it. And so especially now that I saw that the Irondale house actually worked, right? I went from never doing real estate to doing a house and it, the thing actually worked. Mm-hmm. That it, it, Very well. And it, That's thousand yeah. bucks a month is nothing to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And good. so it, it makes it, obviously I'm very intrigued by that. And I really do love the Airbnb space. And so I think our next project, don't know when that's going to come or what location it's going to be, but we'll be an Air, a true Airbnb where they're staying one night, two night, three nights versus a 30 night minimum mm-hmm. stay. And just kind of, Honestly, just want to see how does that work compared to the Irondale House yeah. and see uh, is there more of a profit there? Is there less of a profit there, you know, between the systems and processes and build it out? Because that's really what I, I, I lean to. And that's why I love the Airbnb space is because you can develop that whole model with systems and processes. And that's what I try to do in our business, right? I, mm-hmm. That's what I naturally gravitate to is like creating businesses and processes to kind of that e-myth solution type yeah. deal. And I think you can do that in Airbnb space, and that's what attracted me to it. Yeah, I love that. Well, if you decide to look on uh, on the lake, I've got that one I'm flipping. I'll that's be right. happy to sell it to you. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank I you so it. much for being here. Yeah. Uh, if people want to learn more about you and your business, where should we send them? Well, I need to learn from you, Blake, because I'm not on any social media. <laughs> but uh, 
my email address, I guess, is the best place yeah. to do it. We're, we're building out a website right now. For, okay. We just rebranded the business. And we hadn't talked about the so, name. So what was Yeah, the, Flywheel Financials. Flywheel Financial. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do we, so, do we know a website uh, name? We it's going to be flywheel.financial. Okay. Yep. So eventually, in the next few months, that'll be up and running. Okay. Nothing on there right now. So really, my, my email address is austin at flywheel.financial. And so it. if anybody has any questions, feel free to email me anytime. But cool. thanks we'll, for having me on. We'll man. put that in the great. show notes, but thank you for being here, and we'll see you soon. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. We're back, man. We're uh, back. Good I want to say uh, I watched the last episode that you did with your buddy Austin. Um, yeah. Really interesting, man. It was really cool to hear about what he has going on and how he acquired his business from his uh, his business partner and, mm-hmm. and everything. And so uh, anybody that uh, missed that last episode, be sure to check it yeah, out. Yeah, go and check it out. It's, not, it's interesting to see the correlation. It's not specific to, to real estate, but, yeah. but also is kind of along the same thing. It just correlates and just runs down the same path as far as valuation and the process he went through to buying a business. It's just like yeah. buying a property when you evaluate it. So um, awesome guy. Love Austin. Shout out to Austin. So it's cool. We don't only talk about uh, real estate on yeah. this podcast, get into other things. Yeah. And um, Not only business. Sometimes we're fun. And one little fun fact, uh, you said you actually made, it's always good to kind of catch up with you and, and yeah. see what you have going on. We um, get together and talk and uh, you always have really interesting stories and stuff. And um, you mentioned when we were chatting right before this recording that uh, uh, due to this podcast, you may have actually reconnected with an old client or maybe found yeah. a new client or something. Um, selling a house right over here in my neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's uh, a good friend of mine from high school that we kind of lost touch and uh, went different directions, but still here in Birmingham, reached out, just saw some of this content through there and just said, hey, love what you're doing. You're here, you're knowledgeable, you're in the market. So, looking to sell our house and buy a new one and it'll be close to about a million dollars of business so dude that is yeah. awesome so thank you hey <laughs> a podcast man yeah share it with your friends um yeah. well cool man well yeah what's going on with you uh these days uh really trying to keep up with where the sales market is where the real the birmingham real estate market is you know we've um it's officially summer it's officially summer spring is gone so historically looking back you know, 50 plus years, spring's the hot time, summer, you kind of ride that out. And then once school starts, kind of dies back down and, and then it's dead in the winter. And, and that's kind of the normal cyclical real estate sales cycle. For the past couple of years, it's been springtime all year round as far as volume and demand. And that we've seen that. I've talked multiple times about how it cooled off when rates took a uh, a hike back in October. And it's we're kind of in a new normal of higher rates now. Um, but I, I pulled up some stats that I wanted to share because I've got, got a handful of listings that are, are sitting on market and taking longer to actually go under contract now. And um, without this data, it's, it's easy just to kind of blindly say, oh, the market's not as good, or maybe I'm not as good. Like, what am I doing where these things just aren't selling as well? And so it was good to put some numbers behind it. So I'll get my cheat sheet out here and just talk about uh, the average days on market. So DOM or days on market is a metric we use a lot just to test. Um, a little real gauge. estate jargon there. Yeah, yeah, just gauge the market where it's at. So what I did, I didn't take all of Birmingham because it could be skewed pretty heavily. So I just took Hoover and Bluff Park, which is where I live, and just looked at data from the 1st of January 1 of last year to uh, today's date of last year. So basically the first six months of the year. 
Uh, and so we've got uh, a total of 236 number of listings and the average days on market, and these are sales data, the average days on market for these to sell is 13. 13 days. So that's current. That was last year. That was last the, year. The that first six year. months okay. of last year, the average days on market for a house was 13 days. 13 days. And that's not to closing. That's to under contract. Under contract. Yep. That's, we listed the house, and now we've got a buyer, and boom, the mm. paperwork is signed. Yeah. Yep. So current market, um, this will tell me uh, I can look at what's active, still sitting on market, what has sold, um, and then what's under contract according to our MLS or multiple listing service, which is the database we use. Um, so let's look at active listings. So there's 44 right now. Uh, actually, I, I'm going to start in reverse order. So let's go to listings under contract and the average days on market for them to be on on market to getting under contract is 20. It's a little bit higher. Okay. But a, a week later. Going up a little bit. Um, the first six months of this year, so January 1 to today, the average days on market is 25. Mm. Okay. And then... And that, that's the 172 sales. And then the active listing, so sitting on market right now for sale, there's 44 of them, and the average days on market is 34. And wow. so okay. that tells me, so if I look at, you know, last year compared to this year, for solds, 13 to 25, you know, I've, I've got almost two weeks of extra time that things are sitting out there. And then furthermore, things that are, and that's to get sold for the first half of this year, but kind of projecting forward, where numbers and where things are trending on how long it'll take to sell if you put something up on market today, like my active listings that are kind of sitting there, is you 34. You expect around the 30-day range. Yeah, yeah, 30 to 40. So double, basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so um, it's a lot of information to pull from that, but initially my reaction was, oh, good, it's not me. <laughs> it's, it's the market. Well, you're um, plugged into the, the real estate network, I'm sure. Yeah. you got a lot of friends in the industry and stuff. Are you Are you getting are hearing anything where people are like maybe second guessing themselves like what am I doing differently or why am I not seeing the sales that we were seeing yeah to an extent I mean we're we're seeing it's it's an interesting market to be in because we're still very very short of inventory yeah. right there's not I mean you, I just said there's 44 things on market 172 have closed this year where last year was um, it was in the 200s I forget the number so we, we've got just a lot less inventory but rates are still hanging around like the mid sevens and things are still just sitting a, a little bit more. So in theory, demand should be crazy high because supply is very low. Right. But we're almost seeing supply sit there for a little bit longer, which indicates demand has, has slowed up a little bit or backed off some. And um, what, what do you think is part of that equation? Why, why are we seeing that? With That's a good question. Um, and that, that goes probably beyond my expertise a little bit. Um, but but if you had to speculate. Uh, yeah, I'd go back to rates. You know, there's okay. we, we look at the Fed and how that indirectly, the, the rate change. And we had, I don't know if you remember, Travis Mitchell on a, a few weeks back about talking about how the Fed, the, the Fed rate indirectly impacts the mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. And without going too deep into that and, and getting outside of, of my, my realm of expertise, uh, I, I think because there's so much volatility and movement in where that is, and I think it was announced last week that that's going to go up at least two more times by the end of the year, um, people are just kind of saying, ah, maybe I just need to hold tight. Right. Um, and so is really, so actually, speaking of Travis, so one more thing, and, and we'll put this up. Um, I'll, I'm going to share this chart with you and put it up on the sheet uh, on the page so everyone can see this. But Talking about people who, because this is a common thing I hear with buyers. I'm just going to wait till rates come down. Right, and 
I've heard that many times too. Yeah. Um, which which um, that alone, if Ray, if everything else stayed the same, days on market, price, competition, all of that, if everything else stayed the same, in theory, that's a great idea, mm-hmm. right? But what happens when rates come down? Prices will go up, demand will go up, right? And that's that right. Has, is what we've seen in the past. And so I'm going to put the sheet up, but uh, we're looking at if you purchased uh, today for four hundred thousand at a six point seven five interest rate. Today, you as a buyer, you have a little bit of negotiating power. You haven't had it in, in months, if not years. Now you can get some what we call concessions, mm-hmm. maybe a lower than list price contract or maybe some credit back for some repairs or maybe you can even negotiate repairs, period, which for a while you couldn't. Um, so I've got a $10,000 adjustment in here for a $10,000 either off the sales price or whatever. So you've got um, a three ninety dollars sales price if you buy that today at a six seventy five dollars um, interest rate and you're looking at a monthly payment of $22.76. If we... Um, so 12 months from now, if we assume a 4% inflation in prices from 400000 that goes up to $416,000 purchase price. But let's say rates drop an entire point, which is a lot right now in the, in the rate market. That'd be 5.75. So if you do that same thing, the price of the house increased by $26,000. So you're paying $26,000 more, but you get a point less on your interest rate. Then uh, that monthly payment's twenty one eighty four, which is about a ninety one dollar difference a month, mm-hmm. right? So you're in the positive, but you paid an extra twenty six thousand dollars for that house, and so it com- kind of comes back to what your goals are. If this is like a twenty year house for you, maybe it makes sense because the break even on that is two hundred eighty four months, basically. Wow. So to make up that that ninety one dollars going into that twenty six thousand dollar difference is going to take. 284 months to break even to where it makes sense to wait versus buying today. Um, that's a lot of numbers I just kind of thrown out with yeah, the visual, but um, it just kind of it, it puts more depth into the thought or the the feedback from buyers saying, "I'm just going to wait for I'm rates wait to come it down." Out, yeah, it's like if you do that and and prices increase by only four percent, then you're probably going to lose on that. Like it, it's better to and there's an old I think it's maybe Warren Buffett or, or no it's um, Dave Ramsey, who says, marry the house, but date the rate, right? Okay. And meaning buy the house, you, you marry the house, you're in it, but you can always refinance. Mm-hmm. And so if you buy today, and I don't have numbers, but we could break that down pretty easily. If you buy today at 6.75 and it drops a year from now, well, great, you still bought it 400 or 390, but then a year from now, you can refi down to 575. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that's a great argument, not just to try to, promote more business but just in general for someone who is on the fence hey i'm gonna buy don't don't buy just to buy but i'm gonna buy in the next 12 months period it's just a matter of when from that argument's sake you can you can get better uh returns and just a better financial situation buying sooner than later based off that data and better negotiating power and yeah. stuff which is cool which is huge yeah, yeah. yeah definitely um so yeah well a little tidbit <laughs> so was, for everybody yeah, out there if you're thinking about buying a home dive. let's uh Go ahead and pull the trigger. Yeah, um, a quick deep dive. Um, talking, and I got I got my notes here, but um, and I had I had a question. You yeah. were mentioning numbers. How many houses does Ark do close on per year on average? If you had to average out the last three years. I mean, oh gosh, many- um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's um, if not the top, one of the top 
sales company in, in the city. Um, wow. Close, I think, right over a billion dollars of volume sold. But as far as units uh, or, or single-family homes, or maybe that's not a good number to reference, but um, I mean, I have you're, to look. you're yeah. just talking like a couple hundred closings. I don't know. I don't know what the average. Oh, no, it's thousands. Thousands. Yeah, okay. thousands. Yeah. Because um, I put it in perspective, so, I mean. You guys have a team and stuff. My, yeah. Like, my team will do 60 to 80 deals a year, hmm. right? And I'm one of 500 agents. And now that's kind of on the higher side, like, I think the average for an agent is probably closer to like 10. I forget how big ARC is. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's I, big. I think of you and, and your team, which is like a close-knit, but ARC mm-hmm. as a whole is, is a ARC pretty as big. ARC as a whole, yeah. 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 Pretty big. Billions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, okay. my team is not selling billions. I, I was wish like, we were. bro, <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. do I sign up? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm up on my plane dude, and we'll dude, go to Plaza. Yeah, yeah dude. No. That's awesome. Yep. Um, and so kind of, and I, I wanted to relate that a little bit. So we're, we're talking about just normal conventional loans when we talk about that, but – kind of mixing that with the investor side and, and where investors can get loans now because one, not only have rates increased, but lending um, policies and criteria for a borrower have gotten tighter as well. And so okay. it's a little bit harder for a borrower to get a loan, um, not necessarily on a primary residence or a conventional or uh, FHA or government-backed loan, but on an investment loan as well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm starting to see a lot of what's called a DSCR loan come up, which is um, in a nutshell, basically evaluates a deal. If I'm a lender, I'm evaluating a deal not based off you as a borrower and your financial power, but the deal itself. The deal itself. Right. And how much, so if it's like a short-term rental, how much cash flow is it putting off? And kind of going back to last week talking with Austin of like, what are, what's the income? What are the expenses? what's the cash flow or what's the profit and then having a multiple off that profit and and depending on how sexy that that multiple is or, or the uh, the result of that multiple is how willing they are to lend to you mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of a unique way I'm seeing more of those pop up the rates are a little worse than a conventional uh, or not a conventional loan but a little worse than maybe a portfolio loan from a local bank but sometimes that's the only option if you yeah. if you're newer and you don't have if you don't have the financial standing to borrow, or if you're newer and you don't have a relationship, excuse me, with that bank, then that may be the only route you can go. Yeah. And if the deal works, then sure, go for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you've got to go pay a, you know, I don't, they're not this high, but a twenty percent interest for a year, then all you do is underwrite your deal that you're analyzing, or analyzing based off paying twenty percent. If it works, it works, mm-hmm. right? You don't not the, not do the deal just because that rate's so high. You just have to buy the deal right where it works yeah um yeah going back to the conversation with austin um one thing i thought was really interesting it's kind of related is is his discipline to um uh, i forget the terminology that you use but he was willing to delay gratification yeah and one of the big things that was important to him uh making the deal when buying the company that he purchased was hey i want to i don't want to stretch myself too thin based on the future of the company i think it's going to do well but at the same time i have my uh you know, I think they, the, the business that he's in, they have clients on a monthly basis that mm-hmm. they're not really locked into like some 12 year contract or anything like that in the accounting world, which is something I'm unfamiliar with. But uh, he was like, look, you know, I'm willing to, you know, make some sacrifices to try to get, you know, to ground zero within 24 months. Mm-hmm. And so that way the business is paid for. And then he's kind of, you know, the sky's the limit from there. Yeah. 
Um, and so I just thought that was interesting, you know. Um, I'm not sure how that relates to what you just said. I kind of <laughs> lost my train of thought there, but uh, I just thought that was such a cool conversation. Yeah, yeah. well, and I, I love Austin and getting to know him over the past year. I respect him so much for just how he approaches. And you heard his story talking about um, having that strong relationship with Phil first before he mm -hmm. even started working for him and definitely before he started approaching him to, to buying that business and how important those relationships are. And that's something we harp on and, and I is is very close for me is, you know, ARC stands for a relationship company. Mm -hmm. And that's how I try I to... I think I knew that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All this time. Yeah. yeah. So, and that's how I try to run... I mean, that's how I run my art business, but any business that I go in is like, it's about the relationship, your reputation and how you treat people. And he just does that so well. And he, mm -hmm. he puts that forward in his business. And I think it even relates to um, borrowing private money, which he, he talked about on, mm -hmm. on that deal and, and a couple others he's done. And that, um, that resonates with me because I've done that as well. And, um, you know, you've got a promissory note or you've got, um, you've got some kind of, fall back the, to minimize the risk for that lender. But a lot of times, especially in real estate deals, you're borrowing money. And if you're giving up an equity position, meaning it's not a promissory note, but it's, hey, if this deal does well, then you'll get a piece of it. Um, but if it does bad, then that's the risk you took. Sorry. Mm -hmm. um, he looks at it, you know, that there, Austin has something in him, which which I can relate to. And, and I, I try to uphold as well is, you know, if I borrow money from you, regardless of, of the deal that we worked out, like that money's coming back to you. If mm -hmm. I crash and burn, like, and, and I just, I, I owe you that money, period. Regardless of what we work out. Like, even if you say, hey, if the deal crashes and burns, then I've lost my money. And I think Austin just holds his, his value in that is so strong that um, he, and he respects the people that invest in him so well that he wants to pay that back you know, with the interest and just, sure. and, and just get it done. So yeah, incredible story. Really cool. And, and you know, uh, especially when it comes to like family and stuff like that, I mean, that could be a real, uh, yeah. that can make Thanksgiving real awkward. Yeah. You know what I mean? If Uncle <laughs> yes. Bob didn't get paid back from, yeah. you know, the 50 grand he lent you right. or something like that. So, yeah. well, that's cool to kind of get a, get a, get a feel on the pulse. You know, um, I've learned a lot about real estate through this podcast and, and being in the summer months and stuff. Um, uh, kind of seeing what the market's doing and, and um, I was I didn't realize that uh, yeah um, you know we're looking at kind of about 30 days on the market so that's kind of neat you know uh, at least from my limited experience and the way the market's been anyone trying to purchase a home and, and I know I've told our personal story um, uh, kind of the ups and downs of trying to find your first home uh, man I still think about that sometimes it's just crazy <laughs> that we ended up where we did um, it can be a roller coaster. And, yeah. and so maybe anybody who's listening out there right now that's thinking about maybe pulling the trigger, it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear that maybe they do have more negotiating power than maybe they think, mm -hmm. which is cool. Yeah, so. and that goes, you know, the investment world kind of follows that as well. And, man, there is, there's opportunity now. And I've talked about it for six months. That's why I'm flipping more houses at a time now than I have in two years. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> it seems like I remember you saying that you're kind of, you know, pumping yeah. the brakes on the flips, but every yeah. time I talk to you, it's like, oh, we got another place. Oh, we got another yeah. place. And it's because there's opportunity there, and it, it's the exact same thing for a home buyer in the market right now. Mm -hmm. Is sellers have lost a little bit of leverage. It's mm -hmm. not multiple offers day one, which I've said that multiple times in the past few months, but even more so now, I'm seeing that in the investment world too. Is there's less people just attacking properties and overpaying, in my opinion, overpaying because they're having to go borrow at seven or eight percent. And 
sellers are still kind of, they, they're sitting on market investments for sitting even longer day, average days on market than a, a normal resale to a um, owner occupant. And so sellers reality is kind of sinking in to say, I can't get what I was getting six, eight months, 12 months ago where people were just bidding war and, it, and it's crazy. And I've got more or less quote unquote institutional or West coast money coming in and, and overpaying. It's not really happening anymore. A lot of that's dried up. And so there's more opportunity, not just in the single family flips, which is kind of where I've found myself fall back into, but in the bigger stuff too, um, in apartments and self-storage and, you know, kind of, you name it in all the investment spaces, not just a single family for a, an owner occupant. So, um, people what? who are sitting on the sidelines saying, I can't do it and get out there. Now's the opportunity because if rates drop, it's just going to get just like it was last year. And then sure. your excuse for, I can't afford it now is going to go back to your excuse from last year saying, uh, I can't afford it either, but for different reasons, for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back to the, you know, the West coast money, uh, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, uh, I still see a ton of investment, man. Uh, I work in downtown Birmingham, uh, live in Avondale, which if anybody's familiar with the Birmingham Metro, it's about 10 minutes outside of the city, still in the city, not even that, maybe five yeah, minutes, it's pretty close. but, uh, man, condos are everywhere. It is unbelievable. On, and, and, where my office is located, uh, I can get into detail uh, on kind of in the Lakeview district. Mm -hmm. Golly, man, you could just look, turn in a 360 and I can count 10 condos that are currently being built yeah. right now or that have been built in the last 12 months. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my gosh, can they fit any more condos? It's almost <laughs> like a running joke. And then as soon as you see some old building, um, it's like, man, they're going to tear that down to build a condo. Yeah. And sure enough, they do. It's just like, where are all these people coming from? It's yeah. crazy. Well, and if you think about it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few years because if you think about it, a project like that, um, unlike a flip where I can decide to buy it or not in a matter of days, if not a day or hours, and, and then close and then get into it, something like that takes, I mean, six to Major. 18 months of planning yeah. and funding and, and all of that. And so if you think about ones that are out of the ground today, maybe they're just doing concrete. They planned for that a year ago yeah. when rates were four. So they're locked in at this point. They could be locked in, but then let's say like someone's planning it and they are not quite locked in and it's October one and then they lock it in and it's November 30th when they finally get everything together, their numbers got really tight because rates just doubled. Yeah. And so, so that's going to be interesting to watch of if that slows. I think new stuff's going to slow down over the next couple of years until kind of rates in the market start to balance a little bit more. Um, but separate from that, what's going to be super interesting is you've got big, all, kind, all size deals, but specifically big deals like seven-figure, eight-figure deals that were bought five to seven years ago on a five to seven year arm, which means adjustable rate mortgage, that have a balloon payment. Meaning at the end of five years or the end of seven years, the total note is due, right? Which is pretty normal in a, um, especially in a commercial loan. That's okay. pretty standard to I think to be we talked structured. about that a little bit, yeah. Yep. And so you've got notes from 2018, 2016 to 2018 that are coming due this year. And that owner, typically what they normally do is just refinance it, right? Just get a new loan, put it in place, and roll forward. Well, they did all their underwriting. They ran all their numbers based off a debt service or a mortgage payment of 3%. Now they're having to re they're forced to refinance, and it's an 8%. Yeah. And now their cash flow is negative. Or oh, now, 
uh, we talked about the valuation of a property is based off of the, the income and expenses. Well, let's say that um, the value has depreciated 5%, right? On that refinance, they are going to lend you based off the value of the property. If the value of the property is 5% lower, then you're just getting that much less. And if the debt, sir, if the principal's not paid down enough, you could be underwater. And so at the refinance, not only are you getting a, a rate that's double or triple what it was, but you also have to bring dollars to the table. So mm -hmm. if you're looking at a $100 million deal, you might have to bring $10 million to the table just to get through that refinance, or you're going to get foreclosed. And it's like, holy cow. So Oh, man. Right. That's crazy. So now what does that mean for investors today? Well, there's opportunity. Because I'm going to go buy an apartment complex. <laughs> right? Because these people, are they're forced to do a corner. And they yeah. say, I either have to come up with tons of cash or I'm going to lose it. Or I can just cut my losses. We cash flowed well for five years and just fire just sell. sell. Yeah, yeah, fire sell. And so now as, as an investor, it's like, okay, well, what notes are coming to do, which is public knowledge. So you can go in and say, like, what kind of debt do these people have and just start hitting the phone. Wow. And, that, and all that information is free. It's not like you got to buy you know, you don't spend tens of thousands of dollars to get all this stuff. It's just putting in the grunt work to say, all right, I'm going to hit the phones and I'm going to go find a deal. All right. For everybody out there uh, looking to buy a condo, now this may be your time. It's the, it's the time. Awesome. Until next time.